0: Kay this is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole in the Mountain West. I'm news director, Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, a unique sculpture crafted entirely of sticks is now on display outside the Center for the Arts in downtown Jackson.
1: So for me, it was an expedient use of materials, but as time went on, I began to see all the ways that sticks are used.
0: Plus, the local talent booker and promoter, Ethan Oxman, discusses his philosophy of bringing world class acts to Jackson Hole.
2: I kind of pride myself and like to consider myself an art curator of sorts. I think, you know, deep down, that is really what a
0: concert promoter is. But first, Climate activists from Jackson and around the country descended on the Federal Reserve's annual Jackson Hole Economic Policy Symposium, which was held over the last weekend in August. We've got more on what the demonstrators want from the central bank. Several dozen climate activists gathered Thursday outside of the Jackson Lake Lodge in Grand Teton National Park, where the Federal Reserve held its annual Jackson Hole Economic Policy Symposium through Saturday. The event is one of the most important conferences for economists and central banking officials from around the world, and it was even more closely watched this year, as record inflation continues to hurt the U.S. economy. The activists came to deliver a clear message to Fed leaders. We would like to see stronger action from the Fed uh, influencing the banks on limiting their fossil fuel financing. uh, Emily Park is an organizer with 350.org's Fossil-Free Federal Reserve Campaign. She says the Fed should use its power to discourage banks from investing in fossil fuels and encourage investment in the communities hardest hit by climate change. That includes low-income Americans and people of color. Patricia Garcia Nelson is a Colorado-based advocate with the organization, Green Latinos. Who are you fighting for? I am here fighting for my son. I am here fighting for the 1.6 billion Latinos across the United States that live within a half mile of an oil and gas operation. Members of the Jackson Hole chapter of the National Youth Sunrise Movement for Climate Action also joined in Thursday's protest. Organizers Miles Yazolino and Anna Kerr reflected on the origins of the Jackson Hole Conference and recent local impacts of climate change.
3: So the Federal Reserve um, started having this meeting here in Jackson in 1982. In their literature, they were like, D.C. is so hot this time of year, it's miserable. So they decided to move to Jackson uh, for the symposium because it was you could still fish. It was cold enough to still fish the waters. Beautiful place.
2: But what they came here to enjoy, the hiking, the fishing, the beautiful lakes and mountain views, are unfortunately changing. Just last summer, smoke from the historic fires and wildfires in California and the Pacific Northwest completely masked the Tetons. Sweltering heat and ongoing drought depleted streams and river levels, and fishing was required to stop by early afternoon.
0: While the activists weren't allowed to congregate or demonstrate inside the lodge, Park of 350.org said she hoped their presence will remind the academics and bureaucrats inside that everyday Americans are, in her words, more than data points on a spreadsheet. We are real people suffering real economic consequences, and we are going to be suffering even more than we already are, the, the financial effects of the climate crisis. And there is no greater threat to the stability of our financial system than the climate crisis. For his part, Fed Chair Jerome Powell seemed to acknowledge the pain Americans are feeling from inflation. He used the word twice in his speech at the conference Friday, according to CNN. Analysts interpreted Powell's speech to mean that the Fed is willing to raise interest rates again next month in order to rein in rising costs. Activists would like to see the Fed follow the lead of some of its peer institutions, like the European Central Bank, which already factor climate risk into their monetary policy.
4: Buddy, you're a bad man doing all that fracking,
0: tearing up the land, dealing in tar sands. You got mud
4: on your face, you big disgrace. We'll be kicking your can all over the
3: place. Singing, we will, we will stop you.
0: Kyle Mackey, Well News. Finders Keepers. That's the name of a new, almost otherworldly installation now on display outside the Center for the Arts. KHOL's Emily Cohen has the story.
5: A sculpture that looks like a giant nest now adorns the western edge of the lawn of the Center for the Arts in downtown Jackson. Constructed with woven willow branches, the 17-foot structure was created by world-renowned artist Patrick Doherty and his son Sam with the help of hundreds of local community members.
1: On it. I always joke that it's hard to hate a sculpture if your neighbors are working on it. So we are building a vested interest, but also we need the help.
5: And so... Sourced from saplings collected from nearby properties, Doherty calls this kind of sculpture stick work. It took three weeks to build, and unlike most art, this piece is meant to be walked in and climbed on.
1: Well, you know, artists just start doing things. They make up the reasons later. So for me, it was an expedient use of materials, but as time went on, I began to see all the ways that sticks are used. There are bird nests around you, there are beaver dams, you know, the gorillas make nests at night, and then there are indigenous tribes and all kinds of furniture makers, and basket makers, and historically, you know.
5: Doherty's sculpture will withstand the snow and weather for a few years, but since it's made of natural materials, it won't last forever, in fact, Its impermanence is part of the plan. Doherty emphasizes that the community's job is now to simply enjoy it while it sticks around. I'm Emily Cohen for listener-supported KHOL Jackson.
0: Next, the town of Jackson is moving forward with plans for a new affordable housing development. That's a pretty common story in our corner of Wyoming, until you dig a little deeper. I had the opportunity to join Will Walkie of Wyoming Public Radio and formerly of KHOL to talk about how one building has stirred up controversy and misinformation in Teton County. This interview originally aired in Wyoming Public Radio's podcast, Open Spaces, on August 26th.
6: Can you first tell us a little bit about why this affordable housing development is important and what the town council is trying to accomplish here?
0: Yeah. So anyone who has spent any amount of time in Jackson, probably going back decades, but especially in the last few years, knows that Jackson is facing a real crisis and a lack of affordable housing. This is a serious issue here. And especially for the lowest income workers, it is very difficult to A, find housing, and then B, find housing you can afford, right? So this plan is for a 48-unit affordable housing Project um, that would be on one acre of town-owned land, and it would be for the lowest-income workers, so people earning less than fifty-two thousand dollars for one person for an individual, and less than like sixty-six thousand dollars for a family of three. So um, these are folks who are especially squeezed in the in the local real estate market. One thing, one thing I hear a lot is um, folks saying that you know, for any new affordable housing project, you know, it's just going to bring more people here. Like, who is this going to 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 serve. We're going to have more people coming to the area. But there's actually really strong data showing that people who are already here and living here need housing now.
6: Okay, so it's 48 units. Where is it going and what is it replacing?
0: The location of this project is what's become controversial. Um, I I mentioned it's on town-owned land. This is one acre of town-owned land that is across from the very famous rodeo and fairgrounds right in downtown Jackson. Um, And what was on this acre is the Teton County Fairs Exhibition Hall. Um, That building... Was was in disrepair and is actually being replaced after this year. So now that the, this year's fair is over, the building is actually being um, demolished, and there's a new replacement community center that's replacing that exhibit hall. And um, the town has said, you know, we all we ran on affordable housing, and you know, we support this affordable housing project that's going to go on town-owned land. Some folks still conceive the whole area to be the historic fairgrounds and don't want to see even just one acre, you know, given up uh, in their their opinion to a, a housing project. They see this, you know, as a historic plot that has been the fairgrounds and they want to keep it the fairgrounds.
6: Okay, so now to the controversy. You have a political action committee that's formed in opposition to this development. They're putting in ads in the paper. They are threatening a lawsuit. What are they so upset about, and what has the opposition looked like to you on the ground?
0: Right, this has turned into a really heated political and and cultural issue in Jackson. Um, you have two new groups raising the public profile of this issue. I would say um, through ads, like through mailers, stickers. I see stickers around town, really operating under this brand of save the rodeo grounds, right? And even using that language implies that it needs to be saved from something. And many local elected officials have taken issue with that and how this conversation is being framed because they say... We're not trying to get rid of the fairgrounds. We're not trying to get rid of the rodeo. In fact, the town council actually recently extended the lease for the rodeo and the fairgrounds through the end of 2030. And I believe that's uh, about the longest lease that's ever been in place for the fairgrounds and the rodeo grounds. However, uh, opponents of this housing project on the one acre in question say, you know what, we can't trust you. This is just the first cut of what is going to be a series of cuts. And eventually we're going to have no fairgrounds left. At the same time, it's made more complicated because the Teton County Fair Board actually does indeed want to relocate the fair, mostly because it's such a small space. Like there's no horse um, warm-up area, for example, and they're not able to do all of the activities that they would like to do for you know a, a standard fair and, and rodeo. And so actually going back 20 years, the Fair Board has been requesting um, tax monies to purchase a larger amount of land out of town. And um, actually, many housing advocates here in town, they have also kind of seized on this and said, you know, yes, like we can make this a win-win. Let's use the town-owned, town-owned land in town for housing for workers who desperately need it and relocate the fairgrounds out of town to a larger, more modern facility where we can have better a, a better fair and a better rodeo.
6: So finally, at the end of the day, the Jackson Town Council is trying to create a dent in this housing problem that you just mentioned. And the story has kind of been turned into something else. It's become a story about small-town politics and misinformation. What do you think that this story and this controversy in general has said about government communication in the media?
0: Yeah, it stirred up a lot of emotion. And I think that this is a local example of the difficulties we are seeing uh, across the country of how do we maybe respectfully disagree? And how do we also agree on a set of facts? You are hearing from many town council members, for example, said in a recent public meeting that got um, very emotional, very heated. There was a lot of anger in the room, Um, you know, not necessarily name-calling, but allegations of town council members being corrupt or this process for the project being corrupt and um, threats of lawsuits. Um, And you did hear um, two council members in particular, really push back and say, hey, I don't recognize this tenor of my town. Um, Like The disrespect that has come out around this issue is is very upsetting to some people. And I do think the town council is very upset that um, this one acre near the fairgrounds or part of the historic fairgrounds, however you would like to characterize it, um, has become kind of a stand-in and it's being framed as the future of the entire fairgrounds, which is not the issue at stake here. It's really a local example of how difficult it is these days to find common ground on any kind of controversial topic.
6: Kyle Mackey, thank you so much for joining me and for talking about this story.
0: Thanks for having me, Will. just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from K2L. I'm news director Kyle Mackey, and this is our podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole at the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop most Fridays on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, the annual Telluride Mushroom Festival took place in the San Juan Mountains in mid-August. In addition to presentations on the latest in mycology, the festival also celebrated the artistic side of the fungal world. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Matt Hoysh of KOTO spoke with some of the local artists behind one such event, the Michaelicious, Michaeluscious, Mycological Poetry Show.
3: Why write and listen to poetry about mushrooms? Rosemary Watola Tromer's answer is another question. <laughs> Why not? I guess that's the real answer. Why wouldn't we want to listen to poems about mushrooms? Watola Tromer is a local poet in the Telluride region and one of several writers reading work at the Telluride Mushroom Festival's annual poetry show.
7: Nobody really understands them, so there's lots of mystery there. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good for metaphors.
0: It can be very poignant. It can be very funny.
3: Diva Chasonis is also presenting work at the show. She estimates she started writing mushroom poetry about seven years ago.
0: It's a huge dance, and when the mushrooms decide it's time, it's time. It's not up to us. So that's why we go out. That's why it's called mushroom hunting, because you hunt and you might not get
4: Mushrooms are thonic; They grow underground.
0: The fruiting body
8: of a mushroom, which is what we see when when we're talking about mushroom hunting, is related to a massive underground microscopic, often mycelial network that we don't see.
3: Art Goodtimes and Joanna Spindler are two other local poets presenting work.
8: And it's very fleeting. It comes up for a very brief amount of time and then it deliquesces back into the ground.
4: Mycelia is the underground network of hyphae, little tiny thread-like roots that are all through the soil. In fact, they say in some soils, you can, in one square inch of soil, you can find six miles.
3: When You walk over a hill and you see this spot and you're like, there, there, the chanterelles will be there. And you walk over to this meadow and sure enough, you know, this giant orange carpet. Every year is
0: so different. Every season is so different. Every zone is so different. You can go back to the spot that's been good for you for 10 years and then for three years it's not, you know, and you start questioning is it me? You know, or will you be here for me next year? Or what do I need to do for you? Do I need to do something better for the planet to have the karma, you know, come back at me?
3: Good Times is the poet in residence of the Telluride Mushroom Festival, as well as the poetry editor of Fungi Magazine. Much of the festival focuses on the culinary, medicinal, and ecological elements of mushrooms. But Good Times also stresses the importance of art to, in his words, temper the sciences. The arts, he says, humanize us and make us more understanding of the surrounding world. That's the wonder of the arts. They really make us ask
4: questions that we don't do sometimes when we're simply doing fact gathering or observation or recording.
6: Anytime that we're involving science there's almost always a way for the arts to also enter into that conversation and open it up in a way that's playful, in a way that is heartfelt, and to bring playfulness and heart to any conversation,
8: I think, helps bring it purpose. As poets, I think it's our job a little bit to record a zeitgeist. It's only really been in the last... In my mind, like five, ten years, that the scientific community, the ecological community, the medical community, psychological community has come around to being like, oh yeah, mushrooms are the answer for micro Mushrooms are good for dealing with PTSD. Mushrooms can help with cancer.
3: Of course, I couldn't chat with this collection of mycological bards without asking them to read a sample of mushroom poems from years past.
6: Just as you give up, there,
0: through the trees...
4: You see a clearing. Yo ando siempre contando. Make
0: me
8: a god of flowers and shrooms.
0: Basket, a knife, a nose primed for fungi. Packed for the hunt, I'm off. It
8: is a privilege to wander through the forest. to palaver with the ponderosa chorus.
4: Some can pretend anything except what's true. Although... Most of us can smell truth.
3: This deciduous douche, this saprobex scrubbing. Walk to the clearing,
8: and there, in the moss,
3: hundreds of chanterelles.
4: What love suddenly may be rot taking
8: root? Giving gratitude for all that grows around me. Mycelium and ungulates abound.
4: Make me one. Quiero andar siempre by wet
8: wisdom, things click to you, like oh, existing in the mystery of all of us, illumination, we are all fruiting bodies, evolving in silence, anywhere you no tender fences, them for the pink. By no noon, gates, no nearly limits, everything, just space, possible. no fences, no gates, no limits, just space.
3: Bits of poetry read for this piece were excerpts from Rosemary Watola-Tromer's poem, Mushroom Hunting in the Morning, Art Goodtimes' poem Siempre Cantando Flowers and Shrooms, Diva Chisonis' poem Medicine Woods, and Joanna Spindler's poem Boundless. Original music in this piece by Travis Fisher. For KOTO and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Matt Hoysh.
0: That story from KOTO in Telluride was shared with us through Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KHOL. local talent booker and promoter Ethan Oxman has helped bring major acts like TV on the radio, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, and Odessa to Jackson Hole. KHOL music director Jack Catlin recently sat down with Oxman to talk about the art of his industry and how he's seen Jackson's live music scene evolve. This conversation was recorded live in early August.
7: Ethan Oxman has been planning, promoting, and executing live performance events in the Tetons for over a decade. Oxman arrived in Jackson Hole back in 2011 with a stacked resume filled with music industry experience in both New York and Los Angeles. Now booking and executing live shows at the world-famous Mangy Moose in Teton Village. Ethan Oxman joins us
2: now in the KHOL Studios. Welcome in. Thanks, Jack. Uh, Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. been a while since I've been in KHL. Well, it feels good to be back in the studio. Yeah, welcome here. back. Great to have you. All right. So first off, Ethan, how did you get your start in music and what initially drew you to want to produce your own events? Well, I did my first concert in high school. It was a battle of bands at the local town hall building in New Hampshire in a really small town kind of community. Yeah, it was just hooked after that. And then um, I guess when I went into college, it remained a big focus in my life. I got part of the student organization that put on concerts and we did some really cool shows with like Kanye West, Snoop Dogg, Modest Yahoo, The Roots, Wyclef Jean, like the list goes on and on. It was fun to you know, have like a big budget from a university that we could basically play with as a bunch of students, just learning how to do it. And yeah, it's just been in my world, been a big part of my life every step of the way since. Wow. Snoop Dogg at Syracuse. That must've been awesome. It was. (laughs) I I have a couple of stories about it that I can't really share on air, but it was a a special night for sure. I'll tell you after. (laughs) All right. So what initially brought
7: you to Jackson and once you arrived in Jackson, how did you get involved in the local event
2: production? Uh, I mean, I came here like everybody to be a ski bum. <laughs> I uh, was in LA for a while and yeah, working at that agency and needed a change and wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. Call my quarter-life crisis. Yeah, I came here to ski, but funny enough, my first job was at the Mangy Moose, working the door as a security person, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and that was fun. Uh, so I, I feel like my life is like sort of gone in full circle a little bit now that I'm back at the Mangy Moose. And as much as I like to claim that I'm you know, I'm bringing all the shows through and and doing all the stuff, which I am at the end of the day, I'm kind of still just working the door, (laughs) you know, (laughs) checking tickets. So in some ways I feel like I went back in time, but no, I was, uh, coincidentally, uh, around the same time I moved here, the Pink Garter theater opened and I had known Dom Gagliardi from actually booking shows at the Mangy Moose when he was the talent buyer there. And we did like Buckethead. And then I also knew Matt Donovan. We did Melvin Seals and JGB over in Victor, I guess. So I kind of had this very small community I knew here from being an agent. Yeah, long story short, one day Dom got in touch and uh, pulled me in to start helping at the Pink Garter, sort of as just like a part-time talent buyer. And then that just evolved into doing a whole lot more at the Garter and concert on the commons and some other events around here, as well as some regional venues that I've gotten involved with over the years. And, and of course, now the Mangy Moose. I actually asked Dom the same question.
7: I wanted to get your take on it. You've had a long and successful run of bringing some amazing talent to Jackson. How important to you is exposing different and sometimes unexpected acts
2: to the local community? Yeah, super important. I mean, I kind of pride myself and like to consider myself an art curator of sorts. I think, you know, deep down that is really what a concert promoter is. Yeah, you know, every different genre has its own little niche fan base, especially when you're in a town like Jackson, that niche can get real small. But, um, and of course there's there's crossover, but I think it's really important to speak to each separate niche and speak to that small fan base however best I can. So yeah, I I love bringing different types of stuff and I also really love, discovery um, and the opportunity to bring something that no one's ever heard of and they can discover and there's nothing better than you know stumbling into a show maybe you know the headliner but you get there early for the opener or maybe you don't know anybody and just a friend's going so you're tagging along and you discover new music and then you fall in love with them and then you know next thing you know they're in your daily life listening on a playlist or whatever it may be the real sweet spot, the reward
7: is showcasing someone that is about to blow up and then people are like, wow, they were in Jackson three years ago. And now
2: they're like on the billboard charts. So. Totally. Yeah. And and we've definitely had some experiences doing that. And, and that's really cool. And I'd say coming up, the Dan Donato show is that for sure. He is not super well-known yet, but if you look at what's going on with him out there, that's the same thing. And In three years, we're not going to be able to get him to come back here because we won't have a big enough venue for him. I mean, but the goal now is is get him to like us, you know, and then he'll come back still when he's a big <laughs> deal.
7: All right. Well, keep tabs on everything and get your tickets at MangyMoose.com. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson.
0: You can hear an extended version of that interview on our website, 891 kholorg KHOL is also presenting the Daniel Donato show Oxman mentioned, which is coming up on Friday, September 9th. Donato blends outlaw country and Grateful Dead-style Americana for a unique genre he calls cosmic country. This is Donato's cover of The Dead's Fire on the Mountain.
6: You're playing cold music on the moving floor Drowning your laughter, but you're dead to the core
0: That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is K. Joel Jackson.